Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. When most companies go and hire a CMO, especially a company like ActiveCampaign that has over 180,000 customers, 45 marketers, out of their 1,000 or so employees. You'd expect someone who's got a long tenure in specific marketing roles, marketing leadership roles. Well, in the case of Active Campaign, they went a different route. They went and brought on Shay Howe, my guest today. Now, Shay's journey is quite unique. He's had multiple roles that have all touched how you go to market, but often from more of the design perspective or the product perspective. Even at Active Campaign, he was overseeing areas like corporate development and the platform strategy as a whole. And in a unique way, that made him the most suitable CMO ever for this company. A company that's built on the idea of automation and how to create a more fluid flow through any path that ultimately starts with product. So today, Shay joins us and shares how he stuck to what he loves to land into this role. We then end up talking about that product-led growth mindset and how they've complemented it with a role that they call a product expert. This is a hybrid on kind of a sales engineer meets a BDR that complements, as I said, a product-led growth strategy. A great chat. I'm excited for you to tune in. Here's my conversation with Shay. Okay, I am really intrigued to dig into how you became a CMO. Uh, a lot of my guests, they were in marketing roles all along. And, you know, even at Active Campaign, you were in, I'm going to say, less traditional marketing roles before coming yeah. CMO. So, so walk us through how this happened. Yeah. Uh, how far back do you want me to go? Let's start with the Active Campaign piece because I, I find that interesting. Sometimes you see someone leave another company and, you know, go into CMO, but you were, you were overseeing as essentially corp dev. Is that a fair way to look at it? Uh, part of it. Yeah. It's, um, I've been an active campaign over five years now and give you perspective. I joined, it was roughly a hundred people, 20 million in revenue. And I joined honestly to lead the design team. Uh, my background's in design. That's what I went to school for, but it's been design in the sense of how to use design to solve a problem. I want it to look good, but I want functionally to work too. Most of my career though, Randy has been in hyper growth, B2B SaaS startups. So generally you do a little bit of everything in those scenarios. So when I joined Active Campaign, uh, talking to Jason, our founder, CEO, said, Hey, I'm, I'm happy to lead design, but I love the gray areas of the organization where there's opportunity. We're just not real sure how to organize it or who owns it or how we might execute on it. And in my time in Active Campaign, I, I started in design. We didn't have anyone leading engineering. So I found myself leading engineering for close to a year before we had a CTO. Uh, I then found myself leading marketing for a couple of years. I took that experience and then jumped into what would be all of our partnerships. So be it integrated, strategic, uh, that led us deeper into corp dev. If there's any partners we might want to acquire or grow into and boring back around into marketing, uh, last year. So I've been on the go to market ends. I've been on the R and D ends. I kind of sit at this, the fulcrum of the business where I think I have good insights into largely all that we're doing and where 
we can basically dig into our customer experience or grow through different opportunities there with it. Now, I want to I want to level set for everyone tuning in here because you started off by talking about a company that's 100 people. And then 100 people, very common to have someone in the type of role you described, who's got to do a little bit of engineering, a little bit of product vision, a little bit of marketing. But Active Campaign is not that company anymore today. I mean, this is a company that has grown exponentially from that point. I mean, the, some of the numbers that I've been able to pull up is over a thousand employees, uh, you know, customers in 170 countries. You know, th this company has achieved true scale. So your ability to navigate all of those, you know, different opportunities in recent years is pretty amazing. Have you had to let go of some of those other elements today to be the CMO? Yeah. Yeah, I had to let go of design uh, last year. It was it was a tough moment, honestly. It's somewhat heartbreaking. So much of my identity I wrapped up into that. Right, I have to let this go to continue to scale with the org. Yeah, there's been some difficult moments like that for sure. What, what was you know looking back on that? Who told you that you had to let go of it, or did you realize that yourself? And what was the biggest uh, success to letting go of it without clinging? Wow. It's a really good question. It, it didn't happen overnight. It wasn't like something where just one day it was like, I, I have to let go. But largely it was one of, we were going through a big acquisition. I was leading that with the corp dev side of the house. Um, and been really fortunate in the years to hire some incredible leaders. So I uh, hired someone to oversee our platform strategy team. So they were handling largely the day-to-day -day and net new partnerships, if you will. Uh, hired an incredible creative director that was leading most of the design fronts. Uh, be it brand or product design. So some of the day-to-days was getting managed and led by other folks, but I was still involved in team meetings, strategy, kind of where we were heading. But as I started getting deeper into marketing, it was it was going to be clear, like, hey, I, I cannot do all of this um, and need to certainly let some things go. Um, and strategically in the org, how do we get design a little closer to product? How do we shift up some of just our org structure to improve some of the more broader relationships? It wasn't an overnight decision, but one where, um, honestly, I led the change where I was like, hey, I, like for this all to work out, I'm going to have to let go of design in this process. And I think everyone kind of resoundingly smiled and said, yeah, Shay, that's correct. Uh, I don't know if anyone was going to tell me that they're letting me give their my own, but uh, yeah, it, it pretty organically happened. So you described that organic element to letting go of something. I want to come back to becoming the CMO because I think you know, being fair and being realistic, a lot of people who have had the career projection that you've had going in for an interview as CMO at a company that wasn't the one you're currently at may have been passed on, right? I mean, great that you understand product, great you understand design, but we're a company of a thousand plus employees, you know, 180,000 customers. Are we ready to take a chance on this guy? So how how was that conversation and do you feel like that was organic? Yeah, yeah. It more than anything in my career, honestly, design's been a tenant of it, but it's always been I, I just want to build businesses and solve meaningful problems, right? And that's led me through in design. I went deeper into product because from design I went deeper into engineering. Because like I'm designing this, I don't actually know if we could build this or how difficult it is, or uh, am I making the scope of this really hard? So I learned far more about engineering. That took me more into product because I was like, okay, we could build this, but is, is there value? Is, it, is there any viability to this? Um, that led me more into marketing to say, hey, you can actually create demand, right? You can get 
interest created and, and focused around leads. And I have to play that circle out from my career, but also that active campaign, right? Taking kind of that journey through. And one where our growth is, it's driven largely by our customers, right? Um, we were doing, I would say, product-led growth before product-led growth was the trend of the, the moment or uh, the buzz of the current dates, right? In things like when there's a form embedded on the website, we would say marketing by active campaign or on our emails, the way we worked with advocates and built them out to be strong referrers of our business, et cetera. So a couple of years ago, when I took an interim stint through marketing, it was largely, I applied a lot of that product background and knowledge into how we structured and ran the team, far more about content community than it was paid acquisition and other areas. And that, that works. Like that actually grew the business decently well, but to a point to where even in that, I grew somewhat uncomfortable of, hey, I'm learning a lot of this as we're going through it. We could probably hire someone who's done this and could do it way better than I, and we could grow a lot faster, right? And at that same motion was, we're building a platform for automation. So much of that automation is dependent on the integrations you have, the partnership by which you can bring data in and out to personalize different experiences. No one owns that here. We should go build out that function, right? Again, to the idea of there's a great area over there that I want to go tackle and no one's seemingly thinking about it. Let me go swarm on that. And it's incredible turns to go do that. But it, the idea of, hey, a lot of the growth we had, the, the roots of the company came through product-led growth. So last year was one of, we should probably go back to those roots in some areas. Um, we should rebuild some of the foundations we have and get back to that growth. So the conversation I had with Jason, our CEO, and just, hey, is it, does this make sense? Will this be the right fit? And what, what worked back then that we think would work now? What don't we think would work, honestly, because a lot changes in time. Um, so definitely in a sense of, I didn't join Active Commit thinking I'd be CMO one day. Uh, I can say that pretty clearly. I honestly couldn't think of any better way to do it though either. Even a tenure, being an active campaign for over five years, I'm not the only person who's been here this long, right? Those folks have been here, right? And it's, um, what's so interesting and unique about it is as fast as the company's grown, it is a different job every six months, right? So about the time you think you got it figured out, it's going to change. It's going to evolve. Um, and it's keeping us right on that edge of constant flow where the challenge is right where your capabilities can meet it, but it's going to stretch you a little bit. Uh, to stay engaged. I love that. I, and, you know, most people are going to be listening to this as a audio only podcast, so they won't see what I see behind you, which is a really inspiring poster that very much aligns to everything you just walked through this, you know, and, and what it reads is do what you love, love what you do. Um, and, and I think what you're describing is infusing your passion and your strength into the role that you are as, as much as you may not be the prototypical CMO, not necessarily trying to adjust yourself to be what one typically might assume from a CMO, but bring your strengths in product, in design, into what this company is and why you're so attracted to be a part of it. And I, I think that's a really inspiring message, not just the poster, but the, the way you've carved out your niche and, and made this so natural is one that I think a lot of people aspiring to the CMO role can use as a blueprint. Uh, Shay, we're going to keep you around. We're going to shift over to talk a little bit more about how you go to market right after this break. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. 
Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. Okay, we are back. And one of the things that I asked you before we started recording today is how big's the marketing team? And you responded with an asterisk saying, team of 45, but it almost doubles when you get into another area that supports how you greet your customers. Can you walk us through this idea of a product expert? So we have a, a team, we call them uh, product experts. The team broadly is our customer activation team. And this is a core pillar of how we go to market. I can share a story of just kind of how our go-to-market motion has evolved and I'll tie it into even one of my own experiences in buying software. Um, I was exploring uh, just broadly, hey, how should we use live chat? How do we meet folks with chat bots on the website? How do we start to understand what their intent is, where they want to go, how we route them to the right folks? And I was just looking at different chatbot tools. And uh, there's one I thought could work. I signed up, created a trial, right? I built my first chat bot, installed it on a uh, kind of a staging page, went in and tested it. I said, I think this will work. Let me go ahead and get pricing for this. We'd be an enterprise plan. We would need basically 35 seats for all the agents to chat through. And it took me a week and a half to get a call with someone to get pricing. But it turned out it was someone who asked me more along the lines of, what's my timeline? What's my budget? What's my use case? And they weren't able to answer my pricing question. It was a very frustrating experience. Uh, so it's like, you you all have all this data. You can see I'm doing things in the product. What you're trying to do is qualify me, but all the signals already say I am if you just looked at them. I'm frustrated you didn't give me pricing, and now I got to go get a demo from someone else that I don't need a demo. I just want pricing. And a light bulb went up in that. We're kind of doing the same thing in active campaign. Uh, folks will create a trial. Someone will reach out to them. Those folks in trial often just have questions. It could be, hey, I want to add an attachment to an email with an automation. How does that work? Or how does round robin within our CRM work? And we end up answering that question with questions about their budget, their timeline, and try and qualify them to set them up for a demo. And hey, we probably need more folks just in the motion of, you got questions? Let's just answer that. And what we end up doing is taking a number of our SDRs, a number of folks from our support success org and moving them into a role called the product expert. They're not quota carrying roles, but their entire role is essentially they manage our live chat. If you email sales active campaign, it goes to them. Uh, if you request certain things from the website, it goes to that team. And it's just, Hey, Randy, you got a question. I'm here to answer that. I can answer that via an email through live chat. I'm happy to share a zoom link. We can jump on a call. I can walk you through it. And all they do all day is just answer questions for customers and move them forward in the buying journey. It's very interesting. And, you know, a lot of the things that you got to, I was thinking as you were describing this, I'm like, it almost sounds like you're providing customer support before purchase. And then I go back to what you frame this as, which is customer activation. 
my gut was customer activation was going to be after the bell rings, right? Like after they become a paying customer. But it sounds like you're viewing someone as a customer as soon as they sign up for your trial. Is that is that part of just the the internal ethos of this is how we view someone? Yeah, it, it more or less the idea of someone create the trial. They, they have the highest intent of signal of signing up that we could ever have, right? Let's let's make sure that happens. Let's let's do what we can to ensure they find what they need in our product that they're successful setting it up, um, and let's work with them on that. Not only, you know, once they're paying, but let's let's get them in trial to convert, and then even once they're in, you know, as a paying customer, we don't let go either, right? Like uh, an entire different sequence of how do we get them past the first ninety days, right? Knowing that that even folks come in, they'll start paying. Some of that's just a paid trial, even right. Our pricing starts at thirty dollars. It's you know it's not a significant enough for them to to worry too much about. But they just want to get on board and test it. So we'll work with them through our lifecycle marketing team and continue to engage and nurture them a lot through automations. Um, a significant portion of our business is self service. Uh, so we think more about not only self service but self service assist. And then where is their sales touch involved in that? Interesting. So I, I want to just help people who are thinking through this and how it could apply to their company. You contrast this with other rules that we see often, you know, one could be BDR or SDR type of rules that are usually more about creating the pipe. And I, and I suppose just jumping to try and answer that your PLG motion replaces the need for that traditional role. But how is this different in your mind than say a sales engineer, which you know, I usually associate maybe more as quota carrying, like what other differences have you defined between the idea of a product expert versus a sales engineer? Yeah. What's interesting is we do have those sales engineers or kind of solutions or uh, solution consultants. And those folks still apply the, those product experts are one of largely, can I answer your question in one interaction? If you need multiple interactions, if you're going to be setting up a more complex integration, uh, or say there's multiple stakeholders in your business we need to sell into, we still escalate those things and pass those into the sales or over, over to a solutions engineer to take over. So we still have the quota carrying folks in the org, but product experts are the front door, right? Unified in the front of creating that same experience. And as we think about what passes into sales, it's not based off of what might be their ACV or ARPA per se, right? We'll have incredibly high ACV, ARPA accounts, enterprise accounts come in and completely self-service. Right, and they just find their way. Um, you might find boats that aren't super high ACV, but have a difficult integration, or they're trying to do something to their own APIs that we need to spend a little more time on. That's okay. We're willing to do that, right? So we use the product experts as that front door to pass things into sales or to solutions engineering specifically. So without scaring your own employees who are listening to this, uh, you know, a lot of us hear this idea of product expert and, and greeting someone, and we believe that we can replace this with automation, right? And, and your company's all about automation. So what is your belief in terms of the ability to use generative AI and use rules and the understanding of all this consumption to automatically greet people with, here's a way to play through this problem? Yeah. Ooh, the, 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 the keyword of generative AI opens up Pandora's box, right? Um, and that uh, we're at the forefront of tectonic shift right now. I will say one of the just philosophies we have, even as a company that is, our heart is around automation. 
we tell folks all the time, do not over automate, right? You're still dealing with people at the end of the day and people buy, interact with other people. So be human in what you're doing. I think there's some incredible areas where generative AI, the chatbot solutions, uh, even your outreach at emails, et cetera, can get incredibly personalized through generative AI. It's a lot about the data you have tied into that to make sure that you know, the more data you can feed those systems, the more they understand about who you are and what they can actually respond to or interact with. We think about using automation to ensure that you could stay true to what makes your business special or unique to, right? You got into this because you had a passion about something or another, but ends up you probably spend more time in customer support or payroll finances, et cetera. Let's build automation into those areas and let you stay deep in the areas that make your business special. Um, so where generative AI plays into that, where you can leverage that in email, outreach, chat, we're all about it in that respect, honestly. Um, I even use it just in proofreading or, hey, what's my tone here? Am I too formal? Am I too relaxed? Or, hey, make this more friendly, right? Also, just having to be more efficient and save some time through that as well, right? Um, I think we're experimenting a lot with that these days and just going deeper into, we help folks build automation, but so much of that is also communication into their customers, their prospects. So uh, leveraging I had to do that, yeah. So I want to come back to your product experts for one last question here. And that is, I imagine that they have so much information that is so valuable sitting within their minds. Uh, you know, their ability to jump on, as you said, through a chatbot or through some sort of conversation and just provide that answer. It's, you know, I'm thinking like Ask Jeeves back in the day, right? Like it's, you got this person on the other side. How are you taking all that knowledge and documenting it and perhaps even weaving it into your content strategy because they must have playbooks that they could write out for days. Totally. Yeah. No, I, yeah. Incredible question. So imagine the experience you go to the website, you have a question, chat pops up. There's just a number of questions that will ask you through a chat bot. All of those are doing something in the background to start to articulate what your interest or what area of problem you're trying to solve, right? And that also ensures that the very first conversation you have with someone is not, hey, Randy, uh, how can I help? Like, we can use a robot to ask that question and even dig in a little bit so that then we use the human on the side of, okay, I know what you need. Let's go talk about it. But all of that, we're cataloging, right? We're putting into a mix of, be it custom fields or custom objects in our CRM to document what's happening in those chats. And we even look at those staged over time to see, hey, if you've had multiple conversations, what is the evolution of those? We have non-trivial reports that then basically back out into what are the trends of that? Um, and those trends could be topics. Those trends could be where our chats originate from which pages or parts of the platform per se. All that then backs into, hey, can we build more automation around that so that those chats are handled with better enablement, videos, tutorials, just content up front, right? Um, can we just reduce some of the chat volume around those areas by better, just creating more self-service channels to do that? So we stay deep to the tune of that team is at the forefront of where we could improve documentation or content, as well as, hey, just the, where, where are there new product opportunities? Where are there features, et cetera, we could be building upon? Uh, how do we disseminate that knowledge, not only for our content marketing team, but into the product work as well? Very cool. Well, I think a lot of people listening to this are just going to take active campaigns 
trial and PLG path for a spin just to experience some of this. Hopefully it won't impact any of those metrics. Just on the curiosity, but uh, I know you offer a lot of value. We're gonna keep you around, Shay, for a few more questions right after this last break. Shay provides us with a really important reminder there, which is we always need to be human. Marketing, the best marketing, is always human and it's personalized and it connects with people. Now, in a world today where we hear terms like automation, whether that's marketing automation or we think about generative AI and its ability to automate responses, we have to be careful not to let the human element fall to the side. Earlier in this season, you heard Ed Brielt over at Primo talk about how he leverages generative AI, but then goes back and makes sure that it makes sense and it connects with people. And I think that's the part that's needed. You hear Shay talk about injecting these product experts who know how to use a solution, who can connect with people and answer their goals in a way that connects with looking at how they're actually using the product. These are the types of things that we need to inject in our marketing more, a real connection to solving our buyer's problems. Shay, really appreciate everything you're sharing here today around your career journey, around the buyer journey. Let's hit you with some questions that mesh these two together. And, and my first is, you know, hearing your path, which was so unique coming from design, what was the one area you encourage someone who wants to jump into marketing, either at the CMO level or at some point in their career? Like, what is the one skill that you had to go really dig in on because it just wasn't part of your path to date? Oh, that's so tricky. More than any other role I've had, marketing has been the most challenging because there's so many disciplines or functions within marketing, right? Design, we're all designers, lawyers are practicing the same thing. And marketing, it's, nope, I work on press or corporate communications. I work on, you know, paid SEM acquisition. I work on automations. I work on content marketing. It's so different. Um, I don't know if there is one thing per se. I think that's been the hardest part about the role. It's kind of a non-answer. But it's uh, no, it's it's honest. It's uh, I, I, it's a great point too that you bring up is just the variety in that role versus maybe any other discipline in an organization, including as much as I respect sales. It's you know, you know, you you kind of build on being a BDR to being a, an AEU to being a VP, not quite the same way as, as a linear path. Yeah. To reorient the question, I would it and somewhat turn it around would be what problem are you just trying to solve? And that would depict what you might want to learn to go solve that problem and let curiosity be driven by the prompts you're trying to solve versus any specific skill set, if you will. I love that. My next question for you comes to content, which we started to talk a little bit towards the end of the last segment. And I'm curious what content really resonates with you today. You, you outlined this idea of embracing automation, but also being human. So what, what is personalization today? with those two extremes. Yeah. Take personalization in the sense of what do we know about this individual? And that can come from a plethora of different places. It could be zero party data, what they're doing on our site. It could be enriched third party data, it could be first party data of what they're telling us. 
taking all that together starts to tell you how to interact, how to converse with them, uh, the type of content they might find most valuable. And we think about that in a lot of different ways, not only just from the signals we have, but also where they're at in that buying journey, their own customer journey matters significantly, right? So top of funnel, it's more thought leadership, what's possible. Middle of the funnel is, hey, here's some more customer stories around what they're doing. And those customer stories are very similar to you in nature, right? Be it vertical, size of business, geography, all the way down into, hey, here, here's actually how to go do that, right? Not just what you could be doing, but here's step-by-step step how you could go solve that. Uh, and here's templates, here's recipes, here are all the things that we can just add to your account for you to get you going. So when we think about content, it's not only how we get personalized, but how do you deliver through which channels? And then what even is the medium of it? Is it written video? Is it truly an asset like an email template or automation recipes? So pretty wide in the length of that, but always personalized to what we know about them and what we can deliver. Yeah, I think that's really well put with a focus on relevance beyond, you know, knowing the person's name, as, as they often say. Yeah, yeah. personalization is not the uh, personalization tag of high, you know, be it percent sign, first name, percent sign. Uh, it, it's way deeper into what what is their intent? What problem are they trying to solve? And address that with the content, right? I love that. So my last question for you comes into balance. And that is how do you balance the expectations of a company with, I think you told me customers in more countries than McDonald's. Is that yeah, right? So, true. yeah, I, I mean, I can only imagine the person running McDonald's and then there's you, how do you balance that with everything you want to do? at home? Yeah. It's, um, folks will talk about work-life balance, work-life integration. One of the best examples I've heard is, is work-life harmony and that, and the sense that there's some days where active campaigns gonna take a lot of my time, my energy. There's probably something urgent and important we're surging on and driving. I was at a sharing lawyer we acquired a company. That took a lot, right? And that my balance got skewed. Active campaign definitely got more of my time and energy to go accomplish that. Um, but on the back end, it I gave back to the family, right? I, I made sure I took some time off, found time to go spend with them, built extra moments into what we could be doing as a family per se. So it's about the harmony and knowing that that can change over time, that different days are going to call or ask for different things. Um, so long as one's not controlling the other in, you know, a long extended or perpetual cycle, it's about finding the right harmony between those two. Um, and I'm an anal person, so I follow pretty tight schedules of, Hey, I want to do this within this time frame. let's time box that. So it doesn't bleed out into it. And Let's make sure we have this time set aside to go do things with the family or get my exercise uh, to be in. So it's it's about the harmony between it, to be honest. I, I like that advice and that word. And I, and I think many of us end up feeling guilty when we take some of those personal moments, yet we never feel guilty to work when we're putting in more than that 40-hour week. So it's it's finding that balance and being able to to give it on both sides. I, I think so much great tidbits have been shared here, Shay, from your career, how you've led marketing so organically um, as we hit off the gate to uh, some of the automation and, and some of the human elements of everything you've shared today. I can't thank you enough. Um, I'm reading off you know, your poster one more time, do what you love and love what you do. And I think that that's definitely the case with you for everyone listening, try and live by that mantra in terms of your path and your journey. Everyone's 
way they become a CMO is different. So there's not one. And if you're listening to this, check out all the other guests who have joined me. Maybe one day you'll share your journey. Until next time, thanks so much to Shay and thanks to all of you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts. 